rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman. Greetings and salutations, folks, and welcome to episode 36 of Superman in the Bronze Age, the only podcast covering Superman's adventures from 1970 to 1986. I am Charlie Niemeyer, and joining me as always is... Engelbert Humperdinck. No, I'm J. David Weider. And this episode, we enter 1973, sort of, uh, with the issues with a January 1973 cover date. And I say sort of because these issues actually came out in 72, so technically we're not there yet, but that's okay. It's also Elliot S. Magan Month, as he's the writer of all the Superman-related stories we'll be covering today. Isn't that awesome? I think it is. Miracle Monday. Heck yeah. I think we need to celebrate that in America. That needs to be a real holiday. Yes. And it's May, so we'll have to do a special episode for that. Yep, and I'll, I'll take the day off so I can feed people and leave an uh, imaginary seat open. Darn tootin'. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, we don't have any actual emails or iTunes reviews to go over, for shame. Um, we'll take a quick break for some promos, and David will come back with Superman 260. It has Vikings. After these messages, we'll be right back. Yeah. Hey, kids, comics! Hey, Michael! Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. Watch our podcast. Well, you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Um, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What, just... Listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast is about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics. And then we talk about them. Because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then... We sing! Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Ages Comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com In 1992, the greatest hero the world has ever known died defending his city from a force of nature. That force of nature had a name. Doomsday. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast is a weekly internet radio program presented by the Superman homepage in association with the Superman Podcast Network. Every week, hosts Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor 
Examine the comic book adventures of Superman from Man of Steel number one in 1986 to Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. Now they begin their coverage of the epic Death and Return of Superman trilogy with the first chapter of that story, Doomsday. From the first round to the ultimate sacrifice, Mike and Jeff will go through Doomsday in detail with the occasional special guest and a few surprises as well. Doomsday comes to From Crisis to Crisis, beginning December 2011, at both www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and www.supermanhomepage.com. Presenting Superman. And first up this week is Superman 260, which went on sale November 16th, 1972, but actually had a cover date of January 1973, as Charlie said at the beginning. Uh, This Uh was edited by the great Julia Schwartz, and the artist was some guy named Nick Cardi, who we've never covered before. Only, like, every episode. Uh, You said we never covered him, and he's the cover artist. (laughs) Ha ha. Uh, play on words. Puns okay. are fun. Um, this <laughs> this issue is Keeper of the Eternal Flame, written by Elliot S. Magan, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Murphy Anderson. Although it doesn't... No, it does. Never mind. The Vikings are restless and defensive as Superman is led into their village by a beautiful blonde woman who resembles Princess Leia. And she calls out to the men, No, don't stone the outsider. He's the one who saved me when I was lost today. He is a hero. And a cold voice calls out, by coming here, he committed a crime. However, as a hero, he deserves the right and honor of dying by the sword of Valdemir of the Flame. And with that, a giant Viking man who bears a striking resemblance to Willie Nelson leaps in front of the Man of Steel with a flaming sword. That's not going to happen twice. (laughs) (laughs) And Superman Superman thinks to himself, this character looks like he might give, give me a heavy fight. And he better brace himself to find out. And the red-headed stranger begins fighting Superman and really holding his own, as the captions tell us that this place is Shangri-La, Utopia, Valhalla, a place that many have written of and fought for and killed to find. And a thousand years ago, brave men and women crossed the dark ocean and discovered it and were protected by the Keeper of the Eternal Flame. So, as Superman and the Viking fight, Superman thinks to himself what I'm sure all of our listening audience is thinking. How does he ever manage to get himself into these situations? So to see how Superman got himself into this situation, we flash back two days to the plush office of Morgan Edge, president of Galaxy Communications. Edge is giving Clark an assignment to take the news van and tape a documentary on the problems of Maine potato farmers, and I, which is, I'm sure, a riveting topic on all of our minds. Occupy Maine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Clark wonders why Morgan is giving him an assignment to handle on his own. And Clark wonders why Morgan is giving him an assignment to handle on his own, especially adding that it will give him a chance to relax. So when Edge tells him to take Percy Bratton, the son of a WGBS stockholder, Clark realizes that he's wanting to basically get the kid out of Edge's hair. So Clark collects Percy, and they head to Maine, where it's all about subsidies and parodies for days as they interview the farmers. And Percy is being pretty obnoxious, acting like he owns Galaxy Communications, when one farmer hears a scream from the woods. Neither Clark or Percy appear to hear it, or so it seems. Clark's superhearing did pick up a sound, 
and he uses his supervision to see a girl in the nearby woods being menaced by bears. Oh my. And Clark distracts Percy by pointing out that the farmer's daughter, who is uh, blonde, but not the one from the beginning. So uh, with Percy distracted like Pepe Le Pew, Clark goes rushing out in the woods, changes to Superman, and he discovers the blonde woman from the story's opening, saying, help me, Obi-Wan. Oh, wait. Getting confused. But he discovers the blonde from the opening, quartered by four big bears, who are angry that she stole her porridge. Wait, I'm getting things confused, aren't I? (laughs) Oh, Superman, you're my only hope. (laughs) Yeah, stealing porridge is bad. No, actually, uh, Mm it never says how she came upon them, but the bears are snarling and ready to attack. So Superman uses a full birch tree as a prod to drive him back. And once the bears leave, Superman starts to question the woman... But she calls out, Keeper of the Eternal Flame, return me to Valhalla, and disappears in a pillar of flames. That's odd. So Superman decides that he will look into it later, and returns to the news van and Percy, who has a shiner on his eye, presumably from the farmer's daughter. Driving along the highway, Percy and Clark get a grand view of the canyon, and Clark mentions that there's a village down there, and it's one of the strangest he's ever seen. Percy doesn't see the village because Clark is using his supervision. And thinking fast, Clark banks some heat vision off of the side mirror and causes a blowout in the news van, even though it should melt the side mirror. But this leaves Percy to put on the spare tire so Clark can investigate the village as Superman. The first thing he sees as he's scoping it out from the ledge is a couple of men hunting giant furry rats from the backs of huge wolverines. Which is nothing strange, that happens in Maine all the time. Next he hears the villagers speaking in the language of the Vikings and descends to the village which is kind of where we came in with Willie Nelson of, I mean, Valdemar of the flame. So we rejoin the fight, which takes to the air as Superman leaps up and Valdemar calls down to, I'm going to mess this name up, Skagarik, a giant golden falcon. So on on the back of the falcon, the Viking pursues Superman across the fields of Maine and right over Percy, who thinks there must be a tornado because of all the winds caused by the chase. Superman realizes how much damage they are causing to the farms and leads the chase back down into the canyon. Superman manages to slightly outmaneuver the Falcon, but Valdemar, re- Valdemar, Valdemort, Valdemar, <laughs> rebounds <laughs> and smacks su- Superman with his sword. Ouch. So luckily the sword doesn't cut Superman, so it's just kind of an insulting. But also that does mean it's not magic, and Valdi does tackle Superman to the canyon floor, which shakes the land around them and plunges both of them into the ground. And Superman ponders where the Vikings' powers are coming from and suspects the roaring fire in the center of the village. You know, the one that hasn't been mentioned until now may be the source. So using his x-ray vision, Superman notes that the flame is powered by a strange chemical mixture from the Earth's core. Superman resurfaces, inhales the fire into his lungs, which extinguishes the pyre in the middle of the village, and then he spits the flames into the air. And Voldemort, Valdemar admits defeat and lays his sword on the ground, telling Superman that he can make any request he wishes from the villagers. And Superman asks that they, only that they call him friend. And the Vikings embrace Superman, which is a sentence I never thought I'd say. Before Superman <laughs> leaves, he reignites the pyre with his heat vision, since it was the fire that hid the village from the rest of the world. And Clark and Percy head back to Metropolis, where Percy is about to really expose the strange earthquakes and tornadoes, because he swears he saw a village when the smoke cleared. 
So to protect his new main Viking friends, Clark flips on the light in the dark room as Percy is developing his film, ruining it. And Percy isn't sure what he saw, and Clark thinks to himself that only one man knows, and he isn't telling. And with that, Superman's Viking adventure comes to an end. First of all, I guess the first note I had was that the girl looks like Princess Leia. Oh, you stole my note. Yeah, well, it's all right. You you had it first. And then I didn't pick up on the guy looking like Willie Nelson, but I completely agree with you. Uh, For Thor to show up now. Percy, is he the guy that was in the Jimmy Olsen issues that we covered? Uh, When you were just but a guest? Maybe. I can't say for sure. Yeah. I want to say he was in that issue of Jimmy Olsen. Like, he's been over in the Jimmy book, but I can't remember and I don't have those books to look at right now anyway I think Percy was in that so he's been working with and he as I if I recall correctly if it's the same guy he annoyed us when we covered that issue of Jimmy Olsen so that was cool um and I liked your Goldilocks joke that was really cool this is still kind of a magical thing which makes no sense to me that she could call the eternal flame and have her disappear well there's a no? lot that was left out in terms of explanation it yeah I kind of, although I did like the Percy got a black guy from the farmer girl that is awesome but and I guess this might be where they got the idea in Superman 2 of his heat vision bouncing off a mirror it just doesn't work I actually have a note on that that it just seems like writers pick and choose yeah John Basically, Byrne was like, smart enough to use a piece of the ship, but... Uh-huh. Well, it, you know, one of the things about the Brahms inconsistency and... Well, some inconsistency with the powers, but I think everyone does it, because at one point he can lift a, a good portion of a building without any problem, and then sometimes he can barely, you know, lift a boat without it hurting him. So... It's a, it, he's got plot powers, I guess you could say. <laughs> it's just whatever, however strong he is to work with that. Um, I like how at the end, though, he he basically let them have their have their lives back. So basically, it just kind of made this a pointless story. Well, who um, was he to choose? Exactly. But yeah, I, yeah, I wasn't total, in total agreement with him just sucking out all the fire. But I do like that we still have him saying that he's not a god. That's my favorite part. And then all he wants to do is be friends. I was <laughs> like, yay, Superman. Uh, let's see. Can't we all just get along? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Clark's suit's not bad here either. No, it's actually pretty uh, uh, pretty normal. I think that's... I can't tell. Sometimes his tie looks green and sometimes it looks blue, but... He hasn't gone back to his old school suit yet. Yet. Other than that, I thought he he will. Yeah. But but yeah, I did think it was a pretty good story. I I kind of liked it. Really, overall, I enjoyed it. I mean, I it, I have some big qualms with it, but it doesn't mean I didn't enjoy reading it. <laughs> yeah. I also how this flame would give the like uh, Vlad Vladimir Valdemir Valdemir Valdemar Valdemar. Thank you. <laughs> Well, good. See, you're not the only one that messed it up. I don't see how that gave him enough superpowers to mess with to take on Superman. But well, that's whatever. that's my biggest problem is 
I mean, obviously we have the Princess Leia. She disappears in a pillar of flames. How is that not magical? Exactly. <laughs> Some sort of tell. I mean, I'd be one thing if it was technology, but they never explained anything. I get that the the fire is somehow hiding their little village from the from the outside world, but how how does the strange chemical yeah. mixture? What was she even doing in the woods when the bears found her? Exactly. But if it's, you start it, nitpicking, this... then you stop enjoying the story. So exactly. Early on, yeah, pretty... I kind of checked out. Yeah, and then of course you got to wonder how they have the giant bird, all that stuff. It, giant a lot of it falcon, does, yeah, yeah. You don't see those too much. No, <laughs> but well, overall, I mean that that most of my notes could be nitpicky. Uh, I like the pacing that we walked in right in the middle of the story with the whole WTF moment at the beginning. Oh yeah, the and flashback. They, yeah, and then they said, "Oh, here's how we got in this situation." Percy is completely obnoxious, but I like him for it. But yeah, there's not a lot of background, <laughs> and the woman disappears, and Superman's like, Pshaw, I'll check on it later. Yeah, it kind of brushes it off. Um, did you notice on page two that basically Morgan Edge and Clark Kent are using FaceTime? I guess Steve Jobs would have still been alive to you know, <laughs> put that into the WGBS offices. There you go. Yeah, actually, you could point. <laughs> FaceTime about for, what, 40 years before they yeah. let you use it on cell phones my only big nitpick that isn't petty was that we didn't see more hunters on wolverines that was pretty cool yeah that was I would that would have been cool especially with the, the all the animals were huge mm -hmm. giant wolf maybe that was part of the smoke thing well, and one more nitpick was that they're supposed to be speaking the language of the Vikings, but suddenly they speak English with with no no issues at all. Well, yeah, <laughs> um, maybe maybe it's because Superman knows the language, and maybe he uh, you know it's just all deciphered for translated for us. Plot powers. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> Superman has a and universal translator like the Green Lanterns. Yeah. See, like uh. Like all the aliens, he goes up against speak English too. But do they? He understands what language they're speaking. And they also apparently use Windows computers. They're running on oh, Windows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Windows seven. <laughs> Every well, the alien. Okay, so the aliens use Windows, and apparently WGBS is, uses Apple. No, uh -oh. Superman's going to have some compatibility issues. Ice screen. Nice. What if? <laughs> what if? Uh, what if he wants to load something up in the news van, and it's a uh, Windows formatted? Oh, they're does screwed. He, does he develop a plot power then? Yeah, plot conversion. <laughs> or uh, not conversion. Uh, what's that word? <sighs> what's that word? So it can be used on both. Uh, adapter. There you go. Plot adaption. There you go. I'm able to format this. That'd be something for the 21st century, not the there you go. late 20th. Not, not 1972. Um, did you know, is it normal for the for the news van to have that dome on top of it with the camera? Or have I just missed that? Yes. Okay. Yes, it, that, that part's normal. What isn't normal is for it to be red. Okay. Yeah, normally it's a yellow, isn't it? It's like a yellowish-orangish color. Yeah. I'm telling you, Migo or, missed uh, out. This could have been no. a great playset. 
exactly. Yeah. Oh. Even now, of course, yeah. I don't know how they'd reintroduce. Well, of course, I guess they could technically reintroduce it. But yeah, that that thing would be an awesome playset. Even now, the Superman in the Bronze Age, DC Direct <laughs> figures. There you go. <laughs> hey, if they can do it for He Man, they should be able to do it for Superman, right? True. Well, they did do Silver Age. I mean, DC Direct actually did Silver Age figures. Oh, that's right. With some, with Lois and Jimmy and Perry, and it had a Beppo. And that series actually extended to Superboy. So I do have a Superboy shelf now. Oh, there you go. He's got a sign, the Welcome to Smallville. Not that I know I anything. Like, about, not that I like Superboy or anything. Oh, no, no, no. I wasn't even going to say that I like the first issue, of, or the first issue, first episode of your show that you're not doing because you don't know about Superboy. If I allegedly did a show called Smallville Chronicles, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that you said was coming out twice a week but only came out once. Last week. It was yeah. a big debut week, kind of like the Green uh, Lantern cartoon. They had the big one-hour premiere, and then they all go into the normal schedule. Yeah, that doesn't come out again until like the fall, does it? January. January, oh, February, January. yeah. That was a good... I liked it. Yeah. And if you liked it, too, we did a whole episode on it over at GreenLanternsLight.com. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't intend for the plug, yeah. It just... You kind of set me up. Anyway, I, I'm done with my notes on this story, honestly. <laughs> Hey, I, if there's one on this show, it's sold out a little bit, so. Yay! Yay! Everyone knows that baby Kal-El was sent from Krypton to Earth by his parents, Jor-El and Lara, shortly before the planet was torn apart by violent internal pressures. What else do we really know about Krypton and its history? Journey with us now as we explore the fabulous world of Krypton. This time around, we have The Fabulous World of Krypton uh, in a story called Let My People Live, written by Elliot S. Magan. As we said, it's Elliot S. Magan Month. Penciled by Bob Brown, inked by Dave Cockrum. And to put it briefly, two Kryptonian archaeologists, archaeologists are exploring the Scarlet Jungle when they come upon a relic, which, which takes us into a flashback to Krypton's very, very, very early days when the planet was actually only able to support life, uh, very little life, a little bit of it, because the planet rotated in such a way that it was sunlight was pretty much a sliver of the planet. And in this time, there were two villages, and both wanted to eat and hunt the sparse food, so they put their two most valiant warriors into battle. Now, the champion of the village that won gets the spoils of, I mean, basically surviving, getting the land where they can actually thrive. So... Kayata with his extenso lash and Hex Lee with his cycloblade, both made by Mattel apparently, go toe to toe and <laughs> the two do battle in epic fashion and find themselves on top of a rock where an odd occurrence happens. Whenever the blade touches the lash, the rock begins to spin because of a weird chemical reaction. So the two villages mix their metals, make the planet rotate faster, 
producing more sunlight and more life. And so Krypton was able to live, all because two men who had been raised to kill chose life instead. Aw. It's a feel-good story. <clears throat> this felt really... It felt like the Bible. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I... A David and Goliath kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I don't understand Except the point sure. of the cyclo, cyclo blade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That... And that one guy's got a really big <laughs> afro. Um, I was I was going for afro, and I couldn't get the word out, and you went there. I'm, I so. didn't mean to go there. <laughs> you left just enough of a gap. Uh, apparently, I've noticed that Kryptonian men do not have nipples. No, I, I, didn't we know this already? Uh, I was not aware. Oh, okay. Now, this is something they will pick up post-crisis, but pre-crisis they don't. Which means that the Hulk <laughs> was a pre-crisis Kryptonian. <laughs> I'm not taking the bait on that one. I'm not going to yeah. completely sell out. We're not going to mention that he does a pad smash an Incredible Hulk podcast over at, uh, what is that? If, it, if that was the case, it would be at IncredibleHulkSmash.com. Exactly. <clears throat> we're not going to mention that. Well, we're not mentioning that, even though Charlie just put it right at my footstep, at my feet. Yes, yes, you're welcome. Right at your footsteps? Uh, awesome. <laughs> it's been a long week. But once again, um, it's pretty how we have another... We have one of these fabulous world of Kryptons that are basically stories that's a flashback story as a flashback. Because the story, the, the, the quote-unquote present time story occurs obviously be exploded. And then that story flashes back to an even earlier story. And they do that quite a bit on these Krypton stories. That is so meta. Mm-hmm. You know, I was actually, I, I didn't like this story at all the first time. I'm just like, this is dumb. <laughs> this is just dumb. And <laughs> and then this, I went back through to start making notes. I'm like, no, wait, let me try this one more time. So I read it three times and ended up liking it until I thought about it really hard. And the fact that they're basically causing the planet to rotate faster, which produces life, that wouldn't happen. Um, basically, it would rotate off of its axis and everybody would die. Probably, yeah. Uh, if it goes faster, wouldn't it kind of throw everyone off the planet? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Mountains would crumble. It's just not, the planet's not prepared for it. It's moving at its pace for a reason. We're dealing exactly. with huge astrophysics, and I don't think they thought that through. But you know what? It's it, it's Bronze Age. Yeah, what are you going to do? And, yeah, I... Also, it's, it doesn't seem smart to me to use a guy with a spinning blade and fight him with a whip. I don't, I don't follow you there. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, duh, the, 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 the thing, it, yeah. It, <laughs> no, it doesn't. You are right, though. This does look like, uh, just based on what they're wearing, their outfits, the looks, and the names for the weapons that they have <laughs> this definitely looks like a he-man thing or something oh yeah 
Yeah. But they say it's set on Krypton to make it fit. I almost wonder... Well, yeah. And the weird names... I don't... I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this one is not a reference too much. It was reprinted, but it doesn't get referenced too much. Was it reprinted? In Best of DC number 40 from September of 83, which actually collected quite a few of the Fabulous World of Krypton backups. I didn't know that. I need to crack tra- crack those down. I need to track those down. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know if it was a digest or not, but yeah, it's uh, it, and the cover's got Superman in the background with Krypton, like he's kind of faded out a little bit on the background. You got Jorel and Lara and Krypton all in front of them. Oh, I know the one you're talking about. It's weird that that yeah. one was reprinted because the main story was has not been reprinted yet. Yeah. And it is also kind of weird because this, this wasn't my favorite Krypton story. No. By the way, that cover, the cover on the best of DC number 40, that's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think that Superman is like a Jose Luis Garcia Lopez cover. It's either, it's either him or it's Dick Giordano because they're both very similar. But I... Based on the the way the cape lies, I'm actually going to say it's Jose. That looks like one of those stock, uh, those stock images they use for um, Superman in the late Bronze Age. Actually, they, in the 80s. But that definitely looks like a Jose Luis Garcia Lopez Superman. And then the foreground stuff was drawn by Gray Morrow. This is actually the second story in that book, too. They've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 different stories. All from the back. Yep. All from the backups. Magic Master of Krypton. Oh, that's the bomb diggity. Dang, student. Student? I can make up words. When does that one show up? Superman 279. Oh, we still got a little while for that. Yeah. We're okay. <laughs> yeah. I did. They did reprint a lot of those. <laughs> this isn't the only one. I want to say there's at least one more that they reprinted a bunch of them in too. But yeah, it's definitely a digest because it's the biggest little buy in comics. I really enjoyed enjoyed those. In fact, there was one for Kryptonite, the Blue Ribbon Digest. Mm-hmm. I learned all about the different forms of Kryptonite from that. I tried to teach a class to my third grade uh, friends at recess. Turns out they were making fun of me the whole time. Well, how is that funny? That's tragic. I'm I'm being serious, (laughs) and I was just too dense to know that people were that way. I was trying to educate them just in case we ran into kryptonite. You don't know. You don't. It could happen. It could. And when vines are attacking the school, who are they going to go to to find the kryptonite? That's right. You. Yeah. And you'll be the only one that knows that it's white kryptonite that kills it. I'm actually thinking if that's correct. I believe that is correct. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think, what is it? Green kills. Red does weird stuff. Blue only kills Bizarro's. Gold takes away the powers. Permanently. White, right. White kills plants. And the jeweled kryptonite, I don't know, does something with the phantom zone, I think. One and of then those a combination. I'm trying to think of the which one was fake. Silver kryptonite is fake. 
Yes, because that was for his silver anniversary. Yep. And then uh, there is that's that's all the kryptonite they had back then. Now we've got black kryptonite, which turns you evil, and pink kryptonite, which turns you effeminate. I'm not making that up. I wish I was. Wow. (laughs) I really do. But that well, yeah. But was that before the new Fifty Two? Yes. We don't have that now. Okay, so it's gone. That was. Of course, uh, I don't even know if we have any kryptonite right now. Ah, jewel kryptonite amplifies the psychic powers of people in the Phantom Zone. I can't believe I forgot that. There's ah, okay. Magno kryptonite, kryptonite plus, low kryptonite. Oh, kryptonite X, which creates uh, streaky. That's right, man. I've got the book too. You probably what? What are you using? Um, uh, Essential Superman Encyclopedia. Ah. Uh, is that the uh, one reprinted from the seventies, or the or the newer version? The newer version, the brand, because it was actually, yeah, it was one in the seventies. They reprinted it as it was, and then they expanded it to include up to right. the post uh, Infinite Crisis era. So it's rush to roughly actually about uh, New Krypton, I think. Mm-hmm. I have that one somewhere. In any event. Um, did you have anything else to say about this Krypton story? No, that was it. It was okay. It was a little bit odd. I don't think it would work that way, but maybe Krypton's different. Yeah, you never know. Because, yeah, that is... (sighs) Well, the gravity is stronger on Krypton. If you want to get into the science, I can do that, because Krypton's sun is basically a dwarf star. It had to be. Which essentially means that the the planet is oh that's cool closer to the sun. There's <laughs> uh, a little ADD going there. Well, I um. I collapsed a window and suddenly there was my backdrop and it was apparently I, it changes and I didn't know that. <laughs> okay, I thought it was just uh, the standard just funny. desktop. Like, <laughs> we see the 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 sun's a red dwarf and oh look a kitty. And, and well, no, I mean like, I okay. I read the book Science of uh, the Science of Superman by Wolverton (laughs) and uh, he explains that yeah it's a dwarf star so the people there would actually develop almost a chlorophyll type relationship with the sun but gravity would definitely be heavier and it would basically yeah anyway before I get too nerdy I think we should probably just play a promo and move on to action comics (laughs) yeah okay well then we'll just play a couple promos and we'll be right back with our next issue Hey everybody, my name is Michael Bailey, and this is the trailer with a truly epic ending to my new show about Batman, appropriately titled Bailey's Batman Podcast. Bailey's Batman Podcast is a weekly program that looks at a month in the life of the Dark Knight Detective, starting with the books bearing a March 1983 cover date, which is where my solid run of the characters' comics begins, and moving forward until, well, at least until the books that came out in 2005, because that's where the solid run ends. Each week, I will give you a full synopsis and review of every major ongoing Batman title, with brief stops along the way to look at the important specials, miniseries, one-shots, and Elseworld stories just to keep things interesting. I'll also be telling you what other books Batman appeared in that month, as well as what was going on elsewhere in the DCU. 
it is going to be all Batman all the time as I look at over 20 years of the character's history. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the epic ending to this trailer. You ready? The first appearance of Jason Todd. Death in the Family. Nightfall. Epic. No Man's Land. Do you have chills yet? All of that and more will be covered on Bailey's Batman Podcast. Every Tuesday at Bailey's Batman Podcast.com. Wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies, a podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as The Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of the Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at flashlegacies.limson.com Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. And next up, we have Action Comics number 420, which, of course, had a January 1973 cover date. was released November 30th, 1972, so shortly after Thanksgiving. Uh, the cover price was, of course, 20 cents. And the cover is by Nick Carty. And it shows someone, looks like a genie, using bagpipes and an accordion to make a bigger Superman. And we learn more about that in the story. But doesn't that look like that? Mm-hmm. He even sparkles <laughs> like Edward. No! No! <laughs> uh, I had to say... Okay. Uh, the title of the Superman story in this issue is The Made-to-Order Menace, written by Elliot S. Magan, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Murphy Anderson, and edited by, edited by Julie Schwartz. And the story begins uh, during a taping of the Johnny Nevada show. And his guest, Carl Blazer shows off some slow-motion movies of Superman performing some super speeds at super speed. In the audience is one Danny Victor, who is pretty bitter because he interviewed with Johnny for a job earlier in the day and was told that the only way that would happen would be for him to get Superman to be on the show. So after the leaving the show early, Danny sees Clark, Lois, and Jimmy enter a restaurant called La Crepe, I think. Across the street. It's French. I don't know French. Just crepe. Um, it's la crepe. La crepe? They serve, okay. yeah. They serve pancakes. And, they s- <laughs> and steak, apparently. Um, deciding that they could help him get it. Yeah. Deciding that they could help him get in touch with Superman, he heads out to the restaurant. 
Meanwhile, inside, the reporters have been taken to their table and are, given, be, and are giving their orders. But Clark makes the mistake of asking for ketchup, sorry, catsup, with his filet mignon. After the that. waiter leaves, I know, <laughs> after the waiter leaves and Lois and Jimmy give Clark a ribbing for his faux pas, Jimmy runs off to try to catch up to the waiter to cancel the catsup order. And I say it's catsup because that's how my grandfather always referred to it. Catsup. Anyway, and he runs into Danny. Danny explains that he's trying to line up guests for the Johnny Nevada show, and Jimmy assumes that he wants Jimmy to be on the show and wholeheartedly accepts the invitation. Wah, wah, wah. Several hours later, in a hidden spacecraft orbiting some 44,000 miles above the Earth, Toby, the minstrel of space, has decided that Superman would make a great character for one of his tales, since he has exhausted his repertoire of stories to, uh, to sing to lonely space voyagers. After the caption tells us that Toby isn't really a villain, but is someone who doesn't really worry about little things like right and wrong, he decides he needs to create a menace, a made-to-order menace, if you will, to draw Superman into action. Comics. Huh. Anyway, so he uses his screen song, which uses a combination of music and light energy to create objects. And he uses it to create a monster that looks like a drooling, demonic pterodactyl. And it starts off with a bit of a gut, but by the end of the story, he's got a six-pack. And he calls this monster Artnig. He then sends Artnig down to Earth to go after Superman's friend Clark Kent, who also looks to be an interesting character to involve in the story. So the next morning, after having stalled Jimmy from appearing on the Johnny Nevada show and finding him to be of no help, Danny heads to Clark's office at the Galaxy Building. Inside, Superman is busy changing back to Clark after giving Dr. Kissinger a lift to Atlantis because the U.S. is trying to set up diplomatic relations with Aquaman's undersea kingdom. Now, this really doesn't have much to do with the story. I just found it interesting to add, uh, that it adds some, a little bit of a kind of realism to the story. Uh, after Danny knocks on the door and Clark lets him in, Danny mentions to Clark that he'd like to ask Superman about appearing on the Johnny Nevada show. But Clark says Superman is too busy since he doesn't even have time to go through his mail, which just so happens to be sitting in a large mail sack in Clark's office. Clark explains that Superman has the mail sent to him so that he can pick out the important ones, and then Clark sends the rest to an answering service. At this point, Artnick bucks it, bucks. At this point, Artnick busts into Clark's office, grabs the reporter, and flies off. While Danny figures out a way to save Clark, Clark is having trouble of his own, because it is a clear day, and he can't change the Superman with all of the onlookers below able to see him. Fortunately for him, Artnick flies him over the smokestacks of some buildings that still have not switched over to anti-pollution devices, and he's able to use super suction to attract enough of the thick, clouds of smoke to hide him so that he can change. Once he changes, however, he still hears a familiar cry for help and is surprised to see Clark Kent riding on Artnig's back. When Clark explains to Superman, which is a sentence I never thought I'd say, that he came from up there, Superman flies up there into space to see if he can figure out what the heck's going on. Meanwhile, Danny has promised a great news scoop to one of WGBS's chopper pilots if he'll fly Danny directly over the monster. Upon arrival, he jumps out and activ activates wow, and, and opens his parachute in an attempt to save Clark. But 
Mrs. Clark's hand and ends up landing on Artnick's back as well. Meanwhile, up in space, Superman comes face-to-face with a giant screen-song version of Toby, who explains that the fake Clark is his creation and he created him so that Superman would still have someone to save once Toby learned that Superman and Clark Kent are the same person. After also letting Superman know about Danny trying to save Clark, Superman heads back down to help. At about this time, Danny has recovered, grabs Clark, and jumps off of Artnig, but his chute is all tangled, which prevents it from opening. Fortunately, Superman is able to get under them and uses some super breath to open the chute. While they are floating down, Superman heads up to take out Artnig, but just bounces off. So So he flies to a nearby plastic refinery, Fortunately, there's one nearby. Borrows a big old wad of molten plastic and uses his heat vision to compress it into a series of prisms. This neutralizes the light energy that Toby used and he dissipates. His story now concluded, Toby heads off into deep space. Meanwhile, below, the fake Clark tells Danny that he'll get Superman to appear on the Johnny Nevada show, which then Superman is kind of forced to go along with. So that night, Superman and Clark appear on the Johnny Novato show Novato, Johnny Novato show together, and Danny gets his job. Afterwards, in the dressing room, Superman helps Clark realize that he's also Superman and that his place is with Toby. So Dan, uh, at about that time, Danny walks in just as the Superman flies off, leaving both Danny and the real Clark wishing they could be like Superman. Aww. I know. There was even a little wink the end i was about to say that yeah Yeah. okay you're first thanks (laughs) no i i i gave up on the page by page because i started as we discussed we finally figured out why he's called johnny nevada because he's obviously an analog for johnny carson but there's a place called carson nevada see that's clever that is clever that's clever stuff um I really like Danny as a character. I don't think he sticks around very long. But it'd be kind of nice to have one of those little annoying characters pop up now and then. Just sort yeah, of. A, I want to say this is probably the only time we see him. I believe it is. And hey, Clark orders catsup with his filet mignon. <laughs> that man has a weird obsession with ketchup. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Puts it on beef <laughs> mignon. Is I, that how you say that? Uh, no. Jeffrey Taylor can say it more correctly than I can. <laughs> it's like beef bourgeois or something like Bourgeon, that. Bourgeon. Bourg- yeah. Let's not embarrass ourselves. What? Yeah. You can <laughs> edit that out. Um, <laughs> I think Toby is one of the most obnoxious characters I've seen in Superman recently. I would rather read a Terra Man story than, than hang out with Toby. Because Toby reminds oh, me. He, Toby should be hanging out with Punky Brewster and granting wishes. <laughs> Awesome. He's got this weird walrus mustache, and oh, he was just—he's just so aloof. Hey, I can make things out of my bagpipes. <laughs> <laughs> it's also part of an accordion too. Oh, true. That's like he should be chasing—he should be a cereal uh, villain. And by that I mean breakfast cereal. He should be trying to <laughs> stymie, you know, Toucan Sam rather than Superman. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, man, I just realized. So is that a mustache or is his hair actually folding up to his nose? That is a good question. Maybe both. That's kind of gross. Yeah. 
And Superman is supposed to be smart. Why would he have his mail moved to Clark Kent's office? They they're doing great things uh, with PO boxes. Yeah, I don't know. It might be too much for a PO box. I'm sure there's ways they can work with. Where do you think yeah. all the letters to Santa go? <laughs> Santa's real. We've already they established that. Hole. That's correct. That's why I asked. Yeah. Yeah. See. <laughs> Um, but yeah um, yeah that's actually though that has actually been established for a while they used to send mail to just actually I don't know it was I don't know if it was him specifically before I know they used to send it to the Daily Planet and now they're sending it to Galaxy but I don't remember if it was actually specifically Clark though see the Daily Planet would make sense they publish stories but to Clark's off well I guess he does write the stories some of them. Now he reports them on the TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just said it like an old person. He reports it on the TV. We we learned about that while watching our stories. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and now we're talking about it on the internet. <laughs> the interwebs. <laughs> yes, yes, there you go. <laughs> Wait, Clark's back in his old suit. Is he? Oh, he is. The, the tie's a little different. Nope. Oh, yeah, the tie's a little different. The tie's a little bit different, spotted. but it's still red. But yeah, it's the blue. Yep. He just said he doesn't go back to that for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) How does the the limited amount of pollution smog really cover what Clark is doing? Um, I don't know. Have you ever, when you're that close to the smokestack, it really is pretty thick. You can't see much through it. It's true, but people are watching. They're tracking it. If Toby hadn't made the hard light Clark Kent, he may have been up the creek. Perhaps. But it's the comic book physics. It's the same way last ish- how last episode Clark was able to rearrange graphite using a combination of x-ray and heat vision. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> this uh, is the same book. <laughs> <laughs> why, why would you use plastic to make a prism? I was thinking the same thing. Wouldn't you want, like, glass? Yeah. I don't know that it works the same way because it's not as opaque. I mean, clearly we're still dealing with comic book physics and hard light holograms, which can't happen in the real world. Right. But. Well, he also has a big wad of molten plastic, but wouldn't molten plastic be in liquid form? And therefore he wouldn't be able to carry a wad of it. Mm Touche. I do like on page 14 that Lois, you know, seeing them on together on TV, Superman and Clark Kent's like, Oh, okay. Well, they can't be the same person. That's really her only part in this book, except for ordering food. <laughs> well, I mean, most of the issues we've covered, Lois is in the background. She pops in for maybe a few lines, and then that's about it. Yeah, she stays pretty... Of course, I'm going to say it, and then it's going to come back to bite me in the butt. But yeah, she doesn't get to be much front and center. I guess probably because she's got her own book at this point. Oh, yeah. She's still Superman's girlfriend, and this is Superman. Mm-hmm. No, Action Comics. Actually, this is Action. Sorry. Yeah. Who stars in Action Comics, Charlie? <laughs> uh, the human target. Oh. <laughs> I do like that this and- conveniently set up a good a good way to kind of throw people off of Clark Kent's trail, though. That was the, yeah. the big positive for me. Yeah, a lot better than getting Bruce Wayne to come in again or uh, the president. Yeah. <laughs> or JFK. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 
<laughs> but I didn't. I didn't have a ton of notes. I just kind of, uh, yeah, little nitpicks. I okay. did. I thought Danny would be kind of a cool extra to Jimmy, who's clearly getting a little bit older at this time, or is portrayed and, older. And some, got some pretty good mutton shops going. Yeah. If there's one character that stays with the kind of stays with the times as far as his hair, it's Jimmy. Except not. He gets the big hair. No. Um, as far as my notes, um, my first note was, of course, the Johnny Nevada show. Um, obviously, <laughs> we've just established that it, it Johnny Nevada is basically like Johnny Carson. And, of course, the Nevada show, the Johnny Nevada show is the DC equivalent of the Tonight Show. Uh, now, this is actually something that's going to recur throughout the rest of the Bronze Age uh, in much the same way that uh, in the post-crisis era, we had the witty banter show, which was basically like David Letterman, I guess. So, yeah. Uh, page three, I I do have to wonder if Jimmy ever caught up with the waiter. <laughs> or if there was awkwardness. Canceled, yeah, and, and canceled the catch, the catsup, or if the chef ever came out and just threw the steak in, his, in Clark's face or something. Um Number four, number four, page four, Toby is a character that returns in Elliot Magan's Superman book, Miracle Monday. I don't know if we see him again in the comics, but he does show up in that book. Briefly, isn't it? Uh, he's in there for quite a bit. He caught, He creates some kind of a monster for Superman to have, similar to this. Kind of his I stock know. and trade. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure, I don't know how, it's not a huge carrot role in the book, but I think it's, he's definitely in there. He's got his own story in the book, or his own subplot. Uh, page six, uh, Clark getting Superman's mail reminds me of the Metropolis mailbag stories from the post-crisis era. Makes me wonder if this is, might have something to do with where Dan Jerkins got the idea for it. Um, because basically it's the same thing, they just go more into it. Uh, yeah, pretty much. You know, yeah, he uh, goes through the mail, reads them. If th- some of them he sends to the proper authorities to take care of, and some he'll take care of himself. Sounds like about the same thing, um, except that here he reads them with his X-ray vision without having them. Uh, page nine. I was kind of surprised that Superman would just kind of fly off like that, considering there's a giant monster flying around the city carrying a people a person that most people would assume to be clark kent and danny did assume to be clark kent and risked his life to save him and almost got himself killed in the process which would have sucked for danny um page 13 now how is that rainbow still there if superman's got the prison with him on the ground wait what Page 13 mm-hmm superman has landed with the prism. And the prism vanishes? The, no, the rainbow's still there. Well, he yeah, shot the it out of his hand, vanish. Charlie. That's what Superman oh. does. Okay, yes, it's okay. This is extra power. The rainbow fingers. No, that's Silly a good point, me. though. That, that shouldn't work. <clears throat> but it looks pretty. Yeah. The only thing I could... Uh, the energy left over from getting rid... But... Yeah, I'm still not sure it would work. I don't know. That was just kind of weird. Um, and then page 14, 
apparently, now you got to remember that the Johnny Nevada show, being like the Tonight Show, would be on late at night, like probably after your local news. So on the East Coast, that would be around 1130, probably. And apparently Jimmy, Lois, and Perry hang out and watch the late night talk shows together because they're all hanging out in the same place watching the Johnny Nevada show. Well, they know Clark's going to be on there. That's not out of the question. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, it's just kind of weird. Lois looks they... bored. <laughs> yeah, she does look like she's about to fall. She also has a really huge forehead. I can't make a joke. I'm not going to do it. No. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Jimmy sure is enjoying it, though. He's got a big smile on his face. Still wearing a suit, too. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I think that's pretty much all the notes I have. Other than that, I was I was pretty impressed with the story uh, because I found it to be both fun and entertaining. And based on this story, I can see why Sh- uh, Julie Schwartz kept having – uh, bring in Elliot back to do more stories uh, because it was a pretty fun story. Uh, also, I thought that the Swanderson art was even the some of it. Some of it had it was looks like it got kind of shrunk down, but he kept the detail pretty. Like, well, he and Anderson, Swan and Anderson kept the detail pretty good. Uh, there's a lot of just of people that just stand there and watch the stuff happen, though. That was kind of weird. What would you do? There's a giant pterodactyl. All right, and our backup feature this time, like last time, was The Human Target. The title of the story is The King of the Jungle Contract, uh, which actually should probably be The King of the Jungle Contract, because I put the wrong emphasis on the the emphat. Syllable? Uh Uh-huh, except it was the wrong word. The writer on this, because I'm not going to go back and fix that, the writer on this is Lynn Ween, the artist was Dick Giordano doing all of it by himself, and it was edited by Julie Schwartz. And unfortunately, like the other story, it has not been reprinted. In the jungle, we see Gunther King is about to be attacked by a leopard. Unfortunately, his normally reliable rifle isn't working. When the leopard leaps at him, King is able to kick it away, but he soon recovers, or but it soon recovers and runs towards King again. Uh, Fortunately, he's able to grab his companion's camera and blinds the cat long enough to hit it with a rifle in the back of the head and break its neck. Further inspection reveals that the leopard wore a collar, indicating that it was trained to attack King. Soon, we see King interrupting Christopher Chance's dinner to hire him to find out whoever it is that is trying to kill him. King believes that it is Ernest Holloway, who used to be the big Buana until King came along. So Chance accepts the contract, as well as making the king pay for dinner, and takes King's place in the jungle. On his first day there, while leading a safari tour group thing, he comes across a young impala caught in a snare trap. When he goes to free it, he gets caught in a second snare. While hanging upside down, he spots a Cape buffalo, the world's most dangerous animal. When the buffalo is clipped by a rifle shot, it takes off, bearing down on Chance. With his rifle out of reach, he's forced to use the handgun on his hip to shoot the buffalo, which eventually kills the animal. Once he frees himself, he follows the shot to its source and finds Holloway dead, with the real king standing next to him, claiming that he shot him in self-defense. 
But when Chance investigates, he realizes that Holloway was actually murdered by King. It was all a scheme by King to get away with murdering Holloway, but since Chance figured it out, Chance would have to die too. After a fight, King gets the upper hand, and but by this point, his rifle has been clogged up with mud, which, when he tries to shoot Chance, the rifle backfires, killing King. And that's pretty much the end of the story. Um, as far as my notes, I don't have too many. Um... Uh, I just thought it was a fun and entertaining story. It had some great art. Uh, it was it was a tight story, and I really didn't see any problems with it. How about you? A lot of animal cruelty. Yeah. We kill a leopard and a buffalo that were just minding their own bit. Well, I guess a leopard was attacking, but the buffalo, you're just sitting there eating. Yeah. Apparently, it takes a lot of shots before, the buff- before a buffalo realizes it's dead. Yeah, I like that. And these are 357 magnums. And he's a man. He manages to put six into him before basically the brain gets the message that he's dead. <laughs> yeah, jeez, I'd never even heard of the Cape Buffalo before. But then again, I'm not much of an animal. It's the follower. most dangerous animal on the planet. That's what I've heard. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I really did. And as I mentioned, I wasn't expecting much out of the human target backups, but I've enjoyed them all so far. So far. So fall? <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, yeah, and the art, uh, I actually really like all Giordano this time, no um, Carmine Infantino. You know? But yeah, it was, I thought it was a pretty good story. When you don't have much, when you don't think much of, when you're not expecting much, it's one of those that really surprises you. I was very impressed. Um, did you have anything else? No, that's it. I, wow. It was a very the the backups. I, I usually it's hard to make page by page notes. We what are you gonna you do? Got like, yeah, you got eight pages. It's hard to do that. Um, I w- did want to note though, uh, looking through the letters column in this book, there is a letter from David. It's either Michelini or Michelini. I'm not sure how his last name was pronounced, but oh, yeah. if it's the same guy, uh, this would be the. A future comic book writer known for his well-known writing stints on Iron Man, Amazing Spider-Man, and more important to listeners of this show, Action Comics, which he wrote for about three years, taking over from Roger Stern with issue, I believe it was 702, and he stayed on into the electric Superman phase, which really, he wasn't electric, but energy Superman phase, (sighs) which is... (laughs) <laughs> I'm sh- sounds like it's David's favorite se- favorite era of Superman. He just wasn't Probably Superman. Right up- he just was not Superman. I liked it as Strange Visitor. I liked the costume on Strange Visitor. That just wasn't Superman. Yeah. It's about, it's about, so I guess you like it about as much as uh, New Krypton? Or I like it less than New Krypton. New Krypton was trying yeah. something. It just didn't succeed. This was just tor- terrible. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I wasn't a huge fan of it. Um which we can actually, I guess, mention a little bit since we're never going to cover that era of Superman. Um, I, I, it was a, it was an interesting. I don't. I want to know. I would like to go and interview one of the writers or editor or whatever, because I, when they first started that, they were everyone was saying this is a permanent change. This is how it's going to be from now on. And a year later, he was back in the tights. And I'm wondering if it really was just planned to be a year long story, or 
if it was uh, actually all the fans complaining that brought it back. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. But um, I thought it was somewhat big for them to try to do uh, just because Superman's had this one set of, well, basically this one set of powers for all these years and then they try to change them and they they try to still make it Superman, but he was he just got a little whiny to me. Yeah. Because just about all the... It, Reading those stories, it was like every time it was like, well, if I still had, if only I had still still had my old powers, I could do this and this and this. But now I have to make do. And then Superman Forever, when he gets his powers back, then he's like, well, if I still had my energy powers, I could do this. It's like, wow. <laughs> make up your mind, Superman. But this is not a post-crisis podcast. Um, but yes, David Michelini has a letter in here. I don't know if it's the same guy, but it might be. You you wouldn't think there would be too many of those out there. No. No. Um, did you know you so could, I guess you, that, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Did you know what? We'll, we'll get into that after that. Go ahead. Oh, okay. So what we'll do is we'll play a couple more promos, and we'll be right back uh, to finish up the show. After these messages, we'll be right back. Each week on the 20 minute long box I submit myself to the powers of randomness and review a title from my collection, completely at random and all within 20 minutes. It's the Super Compressed podcast for the decompressed written for trade age. Join me, Steve Lacey, each week at 20minutelongbox.libsyn.com or find me on iTunes. Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand. It was for this moment that we were created, but I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are. Chosen by the Mystic Guardians of the Universe. Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest join to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day. In blackest night. 
no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's Light. Green Lantern's Light, a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today. Say the oath. Join the Corps. Green Lantern's Light. Available monthly at GreenLanternsLight.com. All right, so we're back, and before we get into the ads, David has just found out something. Yeah, just I, I found out you too can own Jerry Siegel's typewriter. Uh, the current bid, as of the time of this recording, uh, is up to one thousand one hundred sixty-one dollars. Um, there are twelve bids. It uh, it'll be ten days that this will go out. But yeah, it is actually Jerry Siegel's typewriter, from which he he actually bought in nineteen thirty-eight. So Lois Lane, Lex Luthor, Jimmy Olsen. All of those came from that. Uh, so if you want to loan me a lot of money so that I may own this piece of history, that, that is also appropriate. Yes. Uh, just send your donations to PayPal. PayPal. Natboy at natworld.net. There you go. And uh, we will take any donations of any size and put it towards letting David buy a typewriter. That would belong I'm to sorry. Jerry Siegel. That used to belong to Jerry. Would you actually... Use it no. or just kind of put it. No, in case. I put it in my collection. Okay. Anyway, I, I just want to point out that all, all my, my my whole last name can be spelled out all along the first row. It's all in one row. <laughs> Look at the top row. That's right. Yep. Who's all the lucky one? Four of the keys too. Mm-hmm. Just the word. Word. Anyway. Um. <laughs> Wow, I don't know how we got off on that. Well, yes, I do, because you found that cool thing. Um, Okay, well, the ads this month. Um, Let's see. Our first ad is an inside back cover. And again, it's the same Daisy BB Target Trap uh, ad that we got last month. month. Uh, Also trying to get you to buy a BB gun that makes it look like it's only $1.99. It's a $4 value. Oh, wait, that's the target trap. Yep. See? Did it again. Since the 1800s, American boys have learned marksmanship with a daisy. Now it's your turn. So I wonder how the American girls learned. With, Probably with a Donald. But Anyway. Yeah. Anywho. Um, okay, so later on we have the Smash Up Derby set uh, from Kenner. And apparently it even has Sonic Sound model. Uh, but yes, you actually uh, they they make up they make noises because they're on those uh, they're those. How do you want? What do you want to call them? Uh, they're the kind that you wind up and put the rip cord in and pull it out and let it go. I don't know zip no cord matters. Zip cord. That's what I meant. The zip cord. Thank you. And they they drive off and smash into each other and pieces fly. That's because they're broken. So, <laughs> So basically, it's teaching you to destroy your toys. That's awesome. And we did. We I don't think we need to be taught as young young ch- children. No, they, no, they pretty much know how to do that. My uh, brother-in-law, when he was uh, I don't know, he was little. Uh, he got a whole bunch of uh, Tonka uh, construction trucks and stuff. Oh, the big on metal Christmas. ones. Uh huh. Oh. And uh, 
that afternoon he he was found out in the driveway or near the garage pounding them down flat with a hammer Oh, and so, I didn't know you could do yeah. that to those. Those are pretty well built. I, I'm kind of scared of your brother-in-law. Well, I am too. He's huge, but uh, yeah, he's uh, he, uh, he he. They weren't happy with him because they they're, they're kind of expensive too, especially in the early '80s. So anyway, uh, next up we have the embroidered cloth patches that tell it like it is. And it's only sixty-nine cents for three or more. But seventy-five cents each if ordered separately. Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon is one of them. There's thirty-five here. Help! I need loving. That's that's the patch, <laughs> not me just saying that. Black is beautiful. And then Wiley Coyote. Oh, the USA Drinking Team. Because that's awesome. Oh, I didn't know they knew who Stone Temple Pilots were back then. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they have a bunny. But it looks like the bunny might be a little bit drunk. It's the bunny got a frequently glass. is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, the psychedelic love symbol and a stop sign. Yeah. Eyeballs, STP, Budweiser powered, skull and crossbones, uh, someone riding a chopper. They even have the Beatles Sgt. Pepper Lonely Hearts Club Band patch. Yeah, buddy. I like in action that you, instead of getting the patches, you get the iron-ons. So because... Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, they they had... I know they had t-shirts back then, I assume, that were pre-made like we have now. But I remember my mom taking me to the, a store in the mall where you would pick out the shirt that you want. You'd pick out what you wanted ironed onto it, and they would put that on. And that's how you got t-shirts. Oh. This is... I did not know that. Yep. I don't know if that was completely the way, but all of mine were iron-on. Um, they had, you know, the big massive iron-on, but they have the Hulk there, Captain America, Spider-Man. I don't see any DC characters. Uh, uh-uh. Bluto. Uh, yep, there's a big Superman symbol right there. Well, the, yeah, right there, right in the middle. Way to go. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, they have one that's class of 72. You can get Popeye. Are these by the same people? That's what I was wondering. Well done, because I have both pulled up. Roach Designs. Uh, Gandalf Products. Okay, different. Oh, no, they're both Gandalf Products. Nope, they are the same. So they bought the same ad space, they just went two different directions. That's interesting. You can even get a Budweiser label on your shirt. Sweet. Gotta love the 70s. All right, let's see. Now, um, one of the things I like, I'm not going to say what's, what it, what they're talking about because it kind of gives away the suspense of listening for the next episode. But in the Superman book, I find it interesting whenever they do this. They have the, they ha- uh, because the Superman story ended, really only needed the top half of the page. The bottom half has ads for what's going to be in the issue of action coming out later that month and the next issue of Superman. And for whatever the reason, it looks like they're using Wayne boring art for both ads. And it kind of confuses me as to why they would do that considering this is, yeah, maybe they didn't have any Kurt Swan stuff to use that was small enough. 
But anyway, that's not the point. Uh, next up, we have the top half. Uh, let's see, surprise coin packet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is, doesn't sound the one promising. Action. No. Action has the surprise coin packet, which you can get for a dollar. And the subscription below it. And the subscription below it. The Superman issue has a different ad for collecting coins, including our famous grab bag. No comment. And the subscription offer. Now, I would like to point out that at this, at this, in this era, and I know some people don't like it when we point out the fact that not only were you getting a year's worth of comics, but you were getting about 15 consecutive issues of a comic book, which, depending on how often the uh, comic came out, could be up to two and a half years' worth of these worth of comics. The total subscription was three dollars, <sighs> which is just a penny more than it costs to buy one issue of a comic today. And yeah, now uh, yeah, I'm not trying to say that they had it good in those days because. They didn't make as much, so I'm sure this was just as tough to try to scrap together three bucks for a subscription as it is now for a kid to try to scrap together forty bucks uh, to subscribe to a comic book. But I just thought it was interesting that it cost about the same price back then to get a full subscription as it does to get one issue now. And basically, <laughs> for the price it would, for what it would cost to get a subscription these days. You could get just about all of these superhero books. Not all of them, but most of them. Adventure, Jimmy, Lois, Superboy, Superman, World. It, it's kind of weird, though. Apparently, they, they they must have canceled some from this ad. If you look at it, uh, they all have numbers. Uh, but in the superhero line, mm-hmm. and I don't see those numbers coming back anywhere, the superhero line goes up to 12 then skips to 14, then skips to 16, then skips, or then goes to 17, then skips 17 to 20. Weird. And, and then jumps from 22 to 30. Yep. <coughs> I don't know why that is, but... Oh, they're, they're, no, oh, never mind. I thought I saw something, but I was incorrect. That's weird. And then it skips around there, too. I'm wondering if it has something to do with books that were canceled, or books that are getting ready to come out. They just haven't put it on the list yet. But that, that's enough on that, Ed. Um, next up, we have, look, fellows, you can win your choice of neat prices free regularly, plus as much as 2 to $10 a cash every week. All you have to do is sell grit. Child labor laws prohibit this. <laughs> but look at that sleeping bag with, like, a canopy over it. That's kind of cool. Especially if it rains. Yeah, unless you're claustrophobic. Well, yeah. And you get a, looks like a bracelet with the name Richard on it. Who's Richard? Donna? As if your name's, if you, that would kind of suck. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to be Richard. What the hell? Um, yeah, you can wear a window scuba mask and a football helmet and a, it looks like a video camera. I was about to comment on that. Yeah, that's. It's a handle. Looks like an eight millimeter. Yeah. Um, and a radio. That's, that's nifty. Uh, then we have Disney's Wonderful World of Knowledge book set. Now, with guides like Disney's Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, learning becomes as easy as laughing. These books you are can so get volume, cool. 
yeah, you can get volume one for free, and apparently there's a whole bunch of others because they're showing a whole bunch of others. I don't know how many there were. Over 118 pages of full-color illustrations, beautifully bound, and permanent hardcovers, fully indexed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, doesn't say how many there's going to be that I can tell. I don't know how many there were. I remember having some of these. And the first some volume is free. The first volume, Donald helps you, and it looks like the next volume, uh, which you can see, has Daisy Duck on it. So yeah, that's pretty cool. I see how it is. The first volume's free, so then they get you hooked. It's like exactly. dealing it's drugs. Like Colum- <laughs> yeah, or Columbia House. Yeah. Oh, no. I still owe them for those those Celine Dion CDs from the early 90s. Uh-oh. Allegedly. <laughs> I was a minor. They can't do anything. It's awesome. Wow. Uh, then we have the Cleveland Institute of Electronics. Day Bill told off his boss. And that is very 70s. Bill's hair looks like it's a helmet, and his boss's hair looks like he's stuck from the late 50s. With the pants up to his nipples, and the tie, and the flat top. Well, don't forget. The old school glasses. Don't forget in action, you have rip roaring weird western with Jonah Hex and El Diablo. One of these had a movie made about them. Oh, sorry. I bumped the microphone. One of them had a movie made about them. Oh. See, we didn't have that in that Superman book. I'm going from both. Don't forget Corgi Boy and his little oh, adventures. Oh, yes, Corgi Do they have that in this one? Oh, we don't have... The Superman one has the other. Producing the Roadrunner series. Because Roadrunner doesn't run fast enough, he has to drive a hot rod. And why the coyote apparently holds on to one and rides a skateboard. Yeah. Uh, apparently, uh, Roadrunner's <laughs> Roadrunner's ride is the beep beep T, and Wiley Coyotes is the Wiley Willies. <laughs> uh, yeah, no comment coming from that one. Uh, it is a 1972 Warner Brothers ad, also sponsored by General Mills. Yeah. Um, I don't have the Corgi ad. Do you have the 204 uh, Revolutionary, Revolutionary War Soldiers? No. For only I go $1. right to uh, Charles Atlas. The Corgi one, wait a minute, is that that you can get monsters or just cars? Looks like just cars. Just cars. But it's those kind of no, cars. No, there's monsters. Yeah, there's the dragon. Oh. But it's the kind of cars where the doors open and the hood flips up and mm-hmm. the trunk opens. I used to love those kind of cars when I was little. I used to be very disappointed if you couldn't open the doors. I agree. Or if it didn't have the rotating dent. Kind of like Battle Damage yes. He-Man. Those were too cool. Yes. Yes, those were nifty. Until, like, you had that, but it was stuck either always in dent mode or always oh. in... Oh, yeah. And then it's worthless. Yeah, because then it's either always dented or it's always perfect. In that. <laughs> uh, but then you get the Charles Atlas ad and the Aurora to get an, the AFX racing set you want for Christmas by putting these little notes, by cutting up the back cover of your comic and putting the notes in several different places so your dad can find it. 
because your dad, again, is the only one that allows you to buy stuff for Christmas or gets you stuff for Christmas. That'd be a little tricky, wouldn't it? For me, What's I that? mean, my dad's no longer with us, so I might have to put that on a Ouija board and see what happens from there. Oh, yeah, making the audience feel uncomfortable. Oh, uh, yeah, especially since I just said you'd be screwed. Yeah. Sorry. Not your fault. Um, it is what it is. <laughs> you just have to accept fate sometimes. Yeah. I'd be screwed because my dad's like way out in Virginia and I'm in Oklahoma. So it would be hard to show it to him anyway. Um, but not, not it. Okay. So moving on to <laughs> something I'm more comfortable with. Um, <laughs> the other comics from 19, from November, 1972. And I'll, we got to pay close attention here. First of all, we have Brave and the Bold number 105 featuring uh, Superman. Yep. Featuring Batman and Wonder Woman in her tidy white outfit. Yeah. I Ching. Not tidy whitey. Tidy. That was I Ching. Yeah, that's her buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Aparo cover. Jim Aparo's awesome on Batman. And we've got Falling in Love number 139 with them holding. Oh. Uh, we have Ghosts number 11 which has a really moody and our army at war number 253 looks like sergeant rocks being attacked by a nazi arm uh, it's coming out of the wall it's coming out of a wall oh it's coming through the wall okay <laughs> that had me scared for a second i was like wow <laughs> uh we have phantom stranger number 23 with a really cool looking jim aparo cover very moody and did I tell you about my wife looking at my death of the funeral for Superman poster? And I'm like, that's the Phantom Stranger. And she's like, that sounds wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think you mentioned that. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, that's proceed. Kind of that's all right. <laughs> um, then we have Wonder Woman number 204, the second life of the original Wonder Woman, which has Wonder Woman returned to her little bathing suit outfit? And I'm thinking, yeah. Apparently, uh, at this, I guess this is the first issue where she gets her powers back. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, well, I don't know who Wonder Woman is. Oh, yeah, because Young Romance, number 190. Uh, not bad, but not very good cover. Um where you can find out if marriage is right for you. It just has two sad-looking people holding each other on a windy day. Speaking Korak, of two sad of- people, yeah. Korak, son of Tarzan. <laughs> yeah, what are all those things? It also features two sad people holding each other on a windy day, just in the... the Different ways. Yeah, yeah, Korak and some weird beasts. With no eyes, but pointy heads. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. And one of them stealing the girl, Miriam, to the very bowels of the earth. Plus, or Pirates of Venus. Mr. Miracle number 12. And unlike any other issue, he's stuck on some kind of trap with no way out. Yeah, I've never seen, that. Jack, I've never seen that done before. No. Jack Kirby drew it, though, and it looks awesome. He hasn't left the DC yet. Teen Titans number 43. Uh, hot tin roof. Apparently, uh, no, those are shingles. Never mind. Sorry, but uh, there's only four titans. What happened to what happened to uh, not Speedo, Aqualad? 
<laughs> Speedo. He was in and out. Oh, uh, okay. But yeah. WizKids versus uh, Witchcraft? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Weird Word Tales number 10. It's the 10th grade issue, which has... Oh, that's kind of cool. You have a more modern-day soldier meeting what looks like a colonial soldier. That's kind of nifty. Wanted, the world's most dangerous villains, number five, featuring Dollman against Iron Mask and Green Lantern versus Dr. Light. He's not a rapist. Yet. Not yet. Well, actually, no, not yet. Okay. Uh, We have the Witching Hour, number 27, and you've heard of the uh, Haunted Tank, right? Well, this is apparently the Haunted Train. It's on a journey to oblivion. Elder Scrolls fans. Number, it's card number 13, too, so see how that works. Mm-hmm. Our Fighting Forces number 141 featuring the losers. Yay. Has nothing to do Strange with the movie Ad- from last year. No. Uh, Strange Adventures number 240 uh, featuring, I don't know. I see Adam Man. Strange at the bottom, but that's not Adam Strange on the cover. That's somebody getting shot out of a, of a ship for some reason. By yeah, apparently, apparently uh, by amb- ambush bug too. Yeah, <laughs> looks like it, doesn't it? Uh, the Earthman is sacrificing himself so the rest of us can survive. Huh? Uh, doesn't look happy about it. Uh, but the Superman issue. So I don't know why I clicked on that one. Forbidden Tales of Dark Mansion number nine. Apparently, this one woman looks really ugly. Although the the native the natives on the cover don't seem to mind but the white man with them looks pretty scared we have supergirl number two and looks like everyone is stuck inside of a small egg bottle. the bottle it's city bottle, of candor yeah. sorry just the angle she's holding it it looks like an yeah, egg it looked it took me a minute too yeah it's kind of weird uh we have young love number 102 which if you look at it it looks like one of those What's what? What is different between the image on the left and the image on the right? Uh, but it's not. It's just for some reason they both have different thought balloons, and instead of just making it one, you know, just the one image, they put it on here twice. Neither one of them realizes that it's their last kiss. Well, I'm glad bad. that they're both in agreement, though. They're, they neither one of them yeah. dig each other apparently. So, and apparently, it looks like uh, Peter Parker stole Jimmy Olsen's wardrobe. So that's really cool. <laughs> and he's making out with Lana. Oh. I know. What the heck? <laughs> uh, the crossover you didn't know about. We have Etric and the Demon number five. Another cool Jack Kirby cover. I'm really enjoying Jack Kirby art more and more as I look at it more and more. Uh, House of Mystery number 210 with a really interesting looking Mike Kaluta cover. Looks like a vampire is about to say Hello. Um, Jimmy Olsen number 155 looks like Jimmy Olsen's about to go to jail and Superman is holding open the door to put, so the cops can throw him in there that's really cool of him uh, but it's the origin of a new cre- new career for Jimmy Mr. Action Troubleshooter <laughs> and they brought that back in post-infinite crisis the term Mr. Action yeah yeah. Oh, he's got that all the way through the rest of this era. Because he's Mr. Action, don't you know? Uh, Weird Mystery Tales number four. And it looks like there's some nasty tentacle 
stuff about to happen. We won't go into that. Um, love stories number 148. And Lana looks like she's crying while Bruce is looking at his mom. I don't know. That's kind of weird. Um, it's not any of those characters at all. I was just kidding. It's just a redhead while well, a guy with big blue, brown, black hair is looking at a painting of a woman. Uh, Tarzan, number 216, uh, featuring the Renegade. The Renegade. And, Lorenzo Lamas uh, is in that issue. <laughs> I'm glad somebody got that. <laughs> uh, unexpected number one forty three. Fear is a nameless voice, and and it sounds uh, like Fran Drescher. Like a... <laughs> oh God, I hate her voice. Um, but yeah, it looks like looks like a really crazed, messed up toy man kind of thing going on there. It's kind of weird. Um, Cool cover, though. And Detective Comics number 431, featuring a not-the-best-look and we've seen Mike Kaluta draw, trying to solve a murder. Batman Stop. looks ticked. Stop. Nobody leaves this magazine until a murder is solved. I don't think Batman should tell me what to do. Exactly. And I don't need permission to leave a man. Exactly. 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 Especially when it's a comic, not a magazine. Jeez. Um... And finally is House of Secrets number 104. And um, the guy is jumping <laughs> off a roof thinking he can't die because someone told her told him so. And the she that told him so is a woman with red hair floating without you know skin and muscles. So it's a skeleton lady floating in the sky with red hair. Oh, yeah, Mary I Jane would trust that. Her. Yeah, that, pss, who wouldn't? And um, that's it for the, have anything else you'd like to add mr weeder yes i uh, just found out that uh, the sopa has failed sopa has failed sopa failed the stop oh. online piracy act which would have affected shows like this one and almost all of our podcasting friends because oh, wow. it would have uh, basically infringed upon our domain names because i mean superman is in most of our domain names or you know hulk is in one so it has failed. Right. We are still free to practice our freedom of journalism. Yay! Yay! Hooray for America! Woo-hoo. Yay! They finally made a good decision. <laughs> Co-Congress. Um, but yes, that that would have been a big. I was reading about that. Mm-hmm. Now that you mention it, uh, they were that would have also really killed like Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Yeah, we would Facebook. It would have been bad. It, there's it, it's. I, I get that you want to stop the piracy. I'm down with that, but there's a point. Uh, what we do is protected by fair use. Uh, outside right. of you know, actually putting a full issue on on our web on any website, we're free to do what we want. We're we're just discussing. It's commentary. And besides, to me, I would think it wouldn't be a huge deal. One, we're kind of promoting these books, mm-hmm. telling people about books that they probably haven't read yet. And it's a free service. We're not getting paid for this. So, I mean, I would think, if nothing else, we're like free advertisement for DC Comics right now. Granted, we're free. Ad- this show is free advertisement for DC Comics back issues. But, and you have two other shows that are, no, three other shows that currently are advertisements for Mm-hmm. Other DC comic back issues and Marvel comic back issues, and exactly. that Marvel show even has 
even older back issues. So, I mean, I don't see how we're hurting anyone by standing sitting here and talking about Superman, but when we're not forcing people to download the show, we're not charging people to download the show. We actually have to pay money to put this online. Although we do have a great sponsor, and if you're looking for something yes. more current but don't want to pay full retail price, look no further than Discount Comic Book Service. Uh, DCBS is an online comics retailer that offers comic fans the comics they need at the prices they want, with monthly specials that range from 45 to 75% off retail price, and over 13,000 individual collected editions and graphic novels in stock. So DCBS is the one-stop shop that every comic fan longs for. You can find them on the web at www.dcbsservice.com. And please be sure to visit their sister stores, In Stock Trades, and My Digital Comics. Uh, Right now, the more current Superman books, uh, the DC New 52 number 5 issues, they're available in a bundle for 50% off. So be sure and visit. We want to thank you all for downloading this week. two weeks for another fantastic episode of Superman in the Bronze Age. Until then, my name's Charles. I am Jay David. That's where you say I'm David. I'm David. (laughs) And uh, thank you for downloading, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weider. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com, where new episodes are posted bi-weekly. Episodes are posted at superbronze1970.libsyn.com, supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com, amazingworldofsuperman.com, and supermanhomepage.com. You can also subscribe to the show via the RSS feed and iTunes. All images characters and music used in the show are for entertainment purposes only no money is made by the show superman was created by jerry siegel and joe schuster thank you for listening and god bless Superman is also a copyrighted feature, appearing in Superman DC Publications.